This is Live Well Talk on what UniPoint Clinic patients need to know during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at St. Luke's Hospital, and joining me today is Dr. Clayton Shutt, who, among other things, is a friend and colleague, but also a physician leader at Jones Regional and also for UniPoint Clinic. Welcome. Thank you. You know, I, I, I wanted to sit down and talk to someone today. One is to, uh, I have this fear that we'll get a little surge from COVID. We'll get a moderate surge from chronic medical conditions that haven't been addressed for six weeks. And then amplified on that, we'll start doing post-operative surgeries. And we're going to have really stress the system because I'm really worried about those patients that, you know, nationally we're seeing MIs, heart attacks are down, strokes are down. People are still having heart attacks and strokes. Those don't stop. You know, you, you always see a little slowdown around Christmas, but December 26th, it picked right back up, right? Yep. You know, so I'm really worried about that. And I want to kind of talk about your perspective on that today and what we should be doing. I mean, first things first, the clinics are open, right? Tell me about that. Yeah. All of our primary care clinics are open. Family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics are all operating during the normal business hours. Um, our specialty clinics are still open as well. Normal hours there also. We did close our Hiawatha Urgent Care Clinic. We did that on purpose so that we could help use those providers to add a different clinic to help better staff for what we call our respiratory clinic. Those patients that have fever, sore throat, cough, we're trying to keep them separate from our other patients. But the rest of our urgent care clinics are open. Our UniPoint Express Clinic is still open, functioning under normal business hours. How is that UniPoint Express Clinic doing? Uh, it's still very well um, available, great access there. It's a little bit quicker care is kind of the idea there um, than some of our traditional urgent care clinics that can sometimes take care of some more complex problems. And that, that started middle of March, right? Before all this, or right at this time of COVID, Started, right? yep, right just the at the yep, very, very early this. portion of that, so right in the middle of March. And the respiratory clinics, they've done a fantastic job, if you ask me. I mean, that I think that was one of the I've said this before, I think there's two things that we'll look back that were great decisions. One is the formation of the respiratory clinic and also Dr. Cleet Younger's work with the nursing home patients in establishing ahead of time some uh, boundaries of care and what to do in the event that in there. I think those two things right there we'll look back and say were two of the best decisions we've made in this pandemic. And I'd agree with you. The respiratory clinic really was one of those things to try and keep risk down. People are afraid to come in and be seen. We didn't really necessarily have enough PPE or protective equipment for our providers. So by able to have that respiratory clinic, we were able to become more efficient. We just put our providers in their protective gear and essentially were there for the day. They were able to take care of as many patients as possible. And we were able to just centralize that as one way of trying to do things, standardize it operations. Some people seem like they're a little bit afraid to go into the respiratory clinic. We really don't want patients to be afraid to go there either. We're watching and we're following very specific protocols to make sure that the patients are staying safe, our staff are staying safe, our providers are staying safe. We don't want anybody else to get ill that doesn't have to. I think, I think it was Napoleon that said men are motivated by fear. And people are scared because, one, it's the sensationalism of the reports, the, the numbers that we're finding out uh, that the, path, the pathogen, the contagion is not as virulent as we thought. And so... It, I guess the question that I think patients are going to have is, is it safe? Is it safe to go to the clinic? Yeah, without a doubt. I think our clinics are actually safer now than they ever have been. Again, by having those respiratory clinics, any patients that really have much for any type of fever, sore throat, cough, we're sending them to a whole different location. We've also done things a little bit different in our protocols as well. 
So when patients come, they stay in their car and they send us a text message that they're there. When we're ready for them, our nurses go out and meet them in the parking lot or at the front door. They bring them back, take them directly to the patient room. All of our staff's wearing uh, masks. We expect all of our patients to be wearing masks or something to cover their mouth and nose. When you see the nurses and our providers, in addition to their masks, are still wearing a face shield as well to help try and keep down that risk of transmission. And again, when the visit's done, we wipe down or clean the entire room uh, back so that it's safe for the next patient to come in as well. So we really think that they are as safe as they've ever been and probably safer than they've ever been. Yeah, really. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a patient should call ahead if they're coming for an appointment, if they have if they're concerned they may have a COVID-type COVID. symptom. Yeah, what we really want patients to do is we want them to call their primary care provider's office first and really start with either a telephonic or a virtual visit. Our virtual visits are um, visits that have a video component to it as well, talking through the symptoms and whether they're concerned that it's possible that it's COVID or some other type of illness, could be allergies. If the patient's really sick and we really feel like they need to have an in-person visit, that's when we're going to schedule them over at that respiratory clinic so they can have an in-person visit by somebody wearing the appropriate PPE, following the appropriate procedures. If they seem like they meet the specific criteria for testing for COVID, we can send some of those patients to what we call our sample acquisition clinic. It's a separate location where patients go and actually stay in their cars in the parking lot. We come out and meet them there, obtain the sample, and send the patient on their way. So it keeps them that risk of transmission for both of us as well as the patients. Speaking of sampling and testing, that's a big talking point. Uh, at the at the state level with the governor, there's a lot of pressure on politicians to get testing. As a clinician, the testing more for me is to help determine a disposition from a patient that I don't know whether or not they have COVID or reduction in personal protective equipment. Oh, this patient's negative, therefore we don't have to do that. So that, that's a big thing. But yesterday they announced that th- this might spill over into the pharmacies testing. You know, I'm concerned about that because what are they going to do with a positive uh, or what are they going to do with a false negative? Uh, what, what's your opinion on that? How, how do you see that playing out? You know, it's a real question of concern. We've talked through every situation that we have so far about how those test results are going to flow through. Who puts the order in? Who follows up on that? Who makes sure that we're getting the information back to the patient? And then helping trying to reach out to that patient and then kind of follow their symptoms if they're positive. And if they're negative, still trying to take care of those things as well. I'd have real concerns about a pharmacy that doesn't have that ability, that capability of a primary care team that can really follow that patient through the course of their illness. Yeah, I've always supported pharmacy giving vaccinations, uh, pneumonia shot, uh, influenza, uh, because that's a public health measure. You know, that's, that's yep. that, and Without it's very, very protocolized and it's public health. I, I wasn't happy about them doing the shingles, the zoster, because you know, I've seen patients go to that. They have a breakout of shingles and they go to get the, the shot. Well, that breakout of shingles was a shot that stimulated yeah. their immune system. They yeah. don't need the shot, you know, and pharmacists don't know that, you know, or, or, or I presume they don't know that. Because so. there's a clinical decision making there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about that. And, and I think that leads my next question as far as patients, when they call who are you testing? I mean, you're not testing asymptomatic people. No, we're really looking for patients that have symptoms, or excuse me, that have uh, symptoms. Um, we want people that meet specific criteria that were set down by our Department of Public Health. Uh, patients that have chronic conditions or over age uh, 60 or 65, 
um, or they have more severe symptoms. Patients that are working in essential health care or some other field that's really necessary for the public good, those people we really want to make sure that we know where they're at, tracking them, and try not to expose anybody else unnecessarily. And it, I, don't, I don't think it's changed from this. Uh, a contact of a contact is not an exposure, correct? correct. So if correct. my neighbor's cousin works at a packing plant and I had a conversation with my neighbor, that was not an exposure, correct? No, right, no. Right. It has to be direct to um, somebody that we know is positive. How, how, how have patients reacted to the information technology, the telephonic and the virtual visits? You know, really surprisingly well. Even some of our patients um, who are a little older, more mature, that we were a little bit concerned with, they really seem like they've gotten to this very well. They've enjoyed not necessarily having to take time off of work um, or take, come out into the areas that they feel are unsafe, that they can be able to have that visit remotely, uh, been able to dial in. They're able to do it a little bit more convenient. We had one farmer who wasn't going to come in for his visit. They said, honestly, we can do this um, virtually. And so we were actually able to have the visit with him in his, in his tractor while he was still farming. So just kind of nice, simple. Uh, some of our patients really, as they've been isolated, they haven't been keeping themselves up quite as much. They may not be doing their hair as regularly, taking the showers as regularly. So we started doing some of our early virtual visits. Patients are saying, yeah, it's the first time I've washed my hair in a week. So I just got dressed up. I put earrings on because I knew that we were going to see each other. And so it's really been, you know, kind of a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah, my youngest is doing some Zoom for, uh, high, for high school. And she said one of the kids uh, who's a farmer was in his tractor with the Zoom. Yeah. It did it from the tractor. You can do it anywhere. And yeah. It's one of the great things about it. So, that, is, yeah. that is so cool. Yeah, I think it, it sped up the introduction of telemedicine. You know, I really expected us to be here probably in five to 10 years, but that's exactly right. Um, it's just allowed us to just kind of accelerate that pace. I don't think virtual care, I don't think these visits are going to go away. We're going to have to redefine them a little bit over the course of time. Patients still need to be seen in person, both now as well as in the future, for specific types of visits. There's sometimes in between visits that can be done virtually. So we don't always necessarily have to have a physical examination component or quite as in-depth a physical examination component to be able to help some of these patients. So one of the bigger things that we're kind of seeing right now is with COVID, patients are socially isolated, which can increase their depression. People are anxious. They're worried. They're not sure what the, the future is going to go ahead and, and hold. So as we're dealing with depression, with anxiety, a lot of that we can do virtually. We don't necessarily have to have a person visit. Just a very easy, nice visit to be able to try and do those things. Simplifies it for the patient. Simplifies drive time. Keeps people safer. I think in the long run, this is going to keep down a lot of our illnesses. So cold and flu season, I think, will be less because we're able to do more of these types of visits. And I, I, think, I think a patient may, from, from a mental health standpoint, be a little bit more transparent uh, with you because they're not, they're not worried about being overheard. They're not worried about telling the nurse the story and then having to tell it to you again, right? I yeah. Because you're just plugging yep. into them. It's not the, the whole check-in, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. So the nurse still goes through their portion of things where they will ask for the reason for visit in general terms goes through their medications and allergies like you would, but then it turns over and then the, there are providers that are back in their offices and they're having that separate visit with just the provider or with just the patient, be able to keep that simple. It is just very close between them. Still has a real intimate feel to it, which is kind of strange, but we're able to do a lot with it. Now, is it is it 50-50, uh, the, the virtual visual uh, and 50% telephone or... We're really trying to move over to the virtual business. I think that those are better. As we first got this started, we didn't have enough familiarity with the technology to do the virtual visits. 
So we started off with the telephonic visits over a month ago. We got very comfortable with those very early on. Patients did well with those, but there's just sometimes you just need to be able to look at something, see uh, a skin lesion, a rash, to be able to look and see if they have swelling or how bad it looks now compared to previously. Um, sometimes you have to be able to assess their breathing, which you can sometimes do just by looking at how somebody's talking with you in a visit just yeah, a little bit differently. Whether or not they interrupt their so, sentences for breaths. Yeah. And I think it does add that extra uh, intimacy of the visit. I think that there's still something important about being able to see the provider, see faces for us to be able as providers to be able to see their eyes, how they answer a question still is certainly a very important thing to be able to try and do. I think the virtual, virtual visits really enhance that. So as we get better with those, I think we'll continue to try and do more of those and less of the telephonic visits. Interesting. And clinicians, how they responded to this? Honestly, they've done really well with it as well. So some of our uh, more mature, experienced physicians who I was most worried about with technology have been some of the earliest ones to really adapt to this. So it's been nice. They've really kind of taken off with this they're comfortable with it as well. So it can kind of keep the whole process just a little bit shorter for everybody and still have those nice interactions. So yeah. it's been good for everybody involved. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not resistant to change. Uh, I guess as I've gotten older, it's, it's harder to change. I mean, that's, sure. you, you know, you sure. and I are about the same age. It's just harder to change as you get older. That's, that's a given. But so I, I don't know how I would handle it. You know, I really don't. Uh, it'd be interesting. You know, I have my home ventilator patients I take care of. Yep. And we do a lot of stuff over the phone, yeah, you know, because they're they're very intense care, and you get good at talking to the families about it, and you know you trust them. So I can imagine it takes things to the next level where it is more intimate, because as physicians we get curbside all the time by family sure, and friends, sure. you know. Yes. But you're just kind of taken to the next level, and so, I, it, that's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how that influences the structure of clinics and care going forward. You know, and it's one of those things that really the virtual care, that telehealth component of things has been going across different areas of the country out of necessity. As we get into North Dakota, South Dakota, patients, providers are so separated that we just can't drive to everything. So they've been doing these types of visits. We just haven't been pushed to do them and we haven't had the... That, that's, the a, that's a great observation that there's the need necessity, rural Montana, yeah. you know, you, 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 particularly mental health psychiatry you because there's not a lot of psychiatry providers in rural states and here in Iowa. But then now we're getting it, we're going beyond necessity to enhancement of care. Yeah. Which is, that, that's exciting. So it, it is, it is convenience. It's simple. Moving forward, you know, as a patient myself, sometimes I'm on the other side, I don't like taking time off of work. I don't like to have to event, essentially give up two to three hours of my day to get out of what I'm doing, drive to my, my provider's office, sit and wait, see the provider, get done, go pick up a prescription and get back to work. So this just simplifies things again. You never even have to leave work necessarily. You can just have your associate or your specific time. We contact you. We have our visit for 15 to 30 minutes and you go back with the rest of your day. Just it simplifies things for everybody. I'm hoping it actually improves our patients coming in or having contact with us so we can make it more convenient for them. I think, I think uh, doctors have always though in the back of their mind or in the front of their mind said, there's got to be a more efficient way to do what I'm yeah, doing yeah. rather than this person checking in, sitting in the waiting room, sitting in the room, checking out. You know, there has to be a, a better way. And uh, sometimes events like this push us forward. You bet. Uh, and one of the things that's really, and I, I hate to put it on insurance companies, it really has been some of the um, barriers that insurance companies have put out there that we haven't been able to be reimbursed for these types of visits in the past. So many requirements on how many vitals had to be seen or had to be drawn at every, or done at every visit. Um, how many things had to be done and that they just simply required to be an in-person visit. 
This is kind of pushing it that actually I think this is going to keep people safer and healthier in the long run. It'll be less expensive for the insurance companies. It's better for the patient. We as providers don't want our patients sick. We want them to be healthy. Yeah, yeah. So we can do those things. Again, we do need to see it in the office over the course of time. Blood pressure is very important to make sure we're watching and monitoring. If you are sick, I do want to know where your temperature is and respiratory rate. There's a lot of times if patients are coming in for chronic conditions, a lot of the stuff I don't necessarily have to have at least with every visit. So it kind of depends on how stable they've been over the course of time. But those visits are important even if it's an annual checkup. Yeah, uh, most certainly. Because uh, I think it was, it was a VA study, and they found that the patients that had anti-reflux procedures, more of them were dead at 10 years than the ones that took the medicine. And you think, well, is there something with that surgery that made sure. those patients? No, what it was is the ones that had the still on the proton pump inner were coming to visits. And then so they would come to the visit to get their drug refilled and their blood pressure would be high. And the doctor would say, wow, you know, you got, we got to treat your blood pressure. Look how high it is. Oh, okay. Yep. And they get these annual visits. So, so this doesn't replace that contact you need to have with your physician. No, I really see in the, in the future that we're going to want to see patients in the office a minimum of once a year, possibly twice a year, at least depending on the complexity and other things going on. But some of those rechecks might be able to be done virtually. And I think that that's really where it kind of fits in. I see you in person, we talk about your depression, your anxiety, whatever those things are, your reflux. But then if we need to recheck again in six months, just to make sure things are continuing to go well, having that touch point, that one we could probably do more remotely and stuff overall. Diabetics, again, we're going to want to see every three to four months. But if they've been really well controlled, we might be able to cut one of those two or one to two of those visits out per year in person and make them more of a virtual visit. So yeah. each person is going to be a little bit different and unique. We really have to trust our providers to make those decisions going, this time I need to see you back in the office. We need to draw some blood. The next time you've really been under good control, I just want to make sure we continue to talk about your, your diet, your exercise, that you're checking your blood sugars, doing the right things, or not missing something. So sometimes patients just need to have that reminder, that touch point more so than having that inpatient visit. And if, you know, if it allows you more time to spend with those complex patients yep. than a 15-minute visit, you can spend 30, 45 minutes with then that'll keep them out of the hospital, and that's always good. You bet. So one last question, Dr. Shutt. Why, why, why medicine? Why family practice? What, what, what led you to what you're doing? Well, that's such a complex question. Um, you know, growing up, you know, as, as you're trying to figure out a job, medicine and what a lot of people that go into medicine will say is, really kind of wanted to help people, and that's where it really kind of started. So you, you start into medical school, um, assuming you get accepted, and you kind of have to figure your path. And family practice was great from a couple of different things. One, it let me have my hands into a whole wide array of problems. It wasn't such a narrow focus on just one thing. The other thing, having come from a small town, is that I really like being able to take care of multiple generations. It's one of the cool things that you really get to do, where you get to take care of patients from birth to death. You go ahead and take care of three to four generations of patients. And really, that gives you a lot more information on patients as well. When you know their grandma or their mother personally, because you have them as a patient, you gain so much more and you really understand family dynamics and how that influences everything else. Yeah, I know that's a hard question to ask. And I've come to appreciate as I've gotten older that you know what you do, you know how you do it. But sometimes it can take you decades to figure out why. What's my why? You know, in times like yeah. this, we find our why. We find, why, why do I do what I do? Well, you know, because I have this inner drive to help people, right? Yeah. You know, and so sometimes people go their whole life with only knowing what and how. And they never had the opportunity to learn the why. And, you know, I, I think this pandemic's an opportunity for a lot of clinicians to learn their why, to learn why they do this. Uh, and, and they'll be better clinicians once they, once they have that under their belt. 
without a doubt, you know, and, and everybody has their, their job, has that role in society where things go. And this is where healthcare workers really get a chance to step up and say, no, we can do this. We can really pull together. We can do this better, efficiently, safer, and really get through this together as yeah. a team. Well, this has been great information, I, and I know you're busy, and thank you for taking time to talk about this. Once again, this is Dr. Clayton Shutt, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Jones Regional Medical Center, as well as in Physician Leadership for United Point Clinic, which basically means you there was a meeting you missed, and so they <laughs> nominated you to do it. That's been, been my experience. Uh, Pretty close. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest for the COVID-19 pandemic, please uh, uh, shoot us an email at stlukescr at unipoint.org. In the meantime, wash your hands, cover your cough, and confine yourself if you're ill, and uh, practice social distancing.